always small Boy or girl, brown, pink or black or white Welcome back to Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy The podcast for children's musicians by a children's musician So, let's say that you've decided that you want to be a recording artist in the children's music business That's a lot of fun So you, you go into the studio, home studio, professional studio mobile studio, doesn't really matter. You crack out some tracks, you get it all done, mixed, mastered, and then you release it. Ta-da! Uh, well, there's some back-end work that has to happen along the way when it comes to that. And not just with recording. Also, what if you're performing live after you get these songs out there and they're in the, in the public world and other artists are using them? Well, there's things that you should do to help protect you, maybe help to monetize the product that you're producing a bit, and just generally, you have some stuff that you need to know. So today, we reached out to our friends over at CD Baby, which you're probably all familiar with. And if you aren't, why don't you just go ahead and try and release an album? And then you'll be very familiar with CD Baby. We're going to talk to um, the uh, Artist Services Publishing Supervisor on the Bar and Banter Day and learn everything about prose. And we'll even define what that is in a couple minutes here. So, please... Uh, put your paws together and give a nice warm welcome to Colson Gower. Good morning, Colson. <laughs> morning, Andy. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> totally. All right. So uh, coming into the music biz, I knew nothing about these things other than they were out there. Things like ASCAP and BMI and mm-hmm. Sound Exchange. And to be mm-hmm. honest with you, I- I've been doing this for eight years, and even after three albums, I still am not super familiar with what these things do, what they're for. I know I signed up for BMI, but I don't know what I'm, I have no concept about how to really utilize this. So right. why don't we jump in just a little bit? I want to give you a couple minutes to talk about what you do at CD Baby, kind of how you got there. And then we'll, maybe we can break these down like one at a time, just so that we can understand them. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, so yeah, a little bit about myself. Um, I, you know, I've always had a love for music and new from a young age, I wanted to work in the industry. I went and studied the uh, music business at the University of Colorado in Denver. Mm. Um, and while I was finishing up my schooling there, I came back home uh, for a summer in Portland and interned with, with CD Baby. I actually worked on um, our publishing team back then, helping with some um, sync pitch type things and report building and, and things like that. And so I actually did a couple of summers of interning here and then um, they brought me on full time onto the, onto the artist services team, and um, since then, you have always had a uh, focus on the publishing side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, CD Baby is not only a, a music distributor, but we're also a publishing administrator. Um, so we deal a lot with PROs and other collection societies. Um, and so, you know, from having that music business background. Um, I definitely already had a lot of knowledge about the PROs and collection societies, so it just made a lot of sense for me to work more in that realm. Um, so since then, just been really focusing on the client relations aspect of that. You know, all of our artists and clients that reach out with questions about publishing and licensing and, and PROs and making sure that our team is, you know, providing the best information possible as, as soon as possible and make sure all those operations run smoothly. Mm. So uh, let's let's take a, a little step back. What is what is PRO? Yeah, so PRO is a performing rights organization or performance rights organization. Um, their sole purpose is to 
monitor public performances of songs, of works, um, and collect performance royalties from those public performances. And they pay those royalties out to the copyright holders, which in this case is the songwriter or composer and, and or the publisher. Okay. So that's the big picture. So, the, so what we're talking about today mm -hmm. are these performance right organizations that work with venues then typically, like if you're playing in a, mm -hmm. uh, a bar or a place mm -hmm. like that that regularly has live music, how does that mm -hmm. relationship work uh, with, with the PROs and the venue? Right. So um, on the PRO side, you know, each songwriter who's written a song you know, you need to be with the PRO and make sure those songs are registered um, and they're in the database of one of these PROs. And so they'll end up with, you know, however many songs in their database that they're representing. And then these, you know, bars or venues, if they want to play music in, in their establishment, they have to actually pay licensing fees. So oftentimes when you walk into a, a bar or a venue or a restaurant, you'll see a sign somewhere near the entrance that says license, um, uh, like license through BMI, license through ASCAP, um, you know, letting everyone, letting anyone know that they are paying their uh, licensing fees out to these PROs. Mm -hmm. So they're basically cleared to play any music that is um, being monitored by these PROs. Um, and, and they're paying out um, typically like blanket license fees to these PROs. And then it's those PROs job to kind of match that money up and pay it out to their members. I see. And I think, and you, sh you would know more than, than I, but uh, they usually just pay like an annual subscription, don't they? To just to cover all potential songs that might be played in the band? Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, they're not like picking every single song that they're playing and paying for that. They're just paying those, you know, annual license fees to the PRO to make sure they're covered to play whatever music they want to play inside their venue. Okay. So why don't we do this from sort of a um, linear process? I really, I put out a single. I'm a, I'm a performer, and like here in Montana, we play a lot of taverns because the taverns can, or um, breweries, like little breweries, things like that. I think you guys mm -hmm. have a lot of, you have, you have breweries yeah. in, in Oregon, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so here it's a popular thing, especially on Fridays from 6 to 8. They call it family friendly. Mm -hmm. They bring in musicians that are more just generic, you know, and mm -hmm. parents bring children in and they can maybe have some food and a couple beers and hang out and we and the musician gets a chance to play. So let's assume that that's <laughs> the scenario here. And yeah. I release uh, an album. I've got 10 tracks on it and they're all originals. That I've, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I'm self-published, so it's it's mm -hmm. the, I own I I'm, I'm the writer, I'm the publisher, that's mm -hmm. just all mine. So yeah. when I go to say CD Baby as a distributor, or mm -hmm. or if I'm self-distributing, or or however it works, sure. What's what are some of the PROs that I could choose to associate with, and do I want to choose just one? Can I choose more than one? How, how what are what are the different big buckets that I want to start jumping into? Firstly, you just want to be with uh, one PRO. You can really only be affiliated with one PRO. Um, so you choose which one you want to sign up with. In the U.S., there are, are two main PROs that um, anyone can sign up with. That's ASCAP and BMI. Um, there are some other large ones in the States as well, um, like CSAC, for example, but they're like an invite-only 
um, and there's some other bigger ones as well. So usually the, the conversation um, is, is usually geared toward ASCAP and BMI since anyone can go and sign up uh, with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you pick which one you want to be with, and then you, you can go to their site um, and sign up as a songwriter, um, and then you basically start registering your works with them. And so there's a couple of different ways that can happen. That's something that any independent musician can handle entirely on their own. You can go to the site, you can sign up, and you can register your songs to make sure you're represented there. Um, or if you're using a company like CD Baby, for example, um, you can handle the distribution process and the process of getting your works registered kind of all in one go. Um, so say you're signing up that 10-song album with all originals, all originals on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you distribute that through CD Baby. You sign up for our publishing administration services. And if you hadn't yet already, we would go ahead and sign you up for ASCAP or BMI. You would just complete um, a form on our site for us to do that for you. And we would also send your songs over to whichever PRO you chose, and we would register those works uh, for you so you wouldn't have to go through the trouble of doing that. Right. Um, now, again, you can totally do that you know, just on your own through, through their website as well, but sometimes it's nice to let somebody else see it through for you. Well, and if I suppose if you have any, if you're intimidated at all with the process, but you and you guys sell it as a um, a package deal, don't you? You're like, hey, you can buy this package, this distribution package that includes, mm-hmm. you know, getting all your music to, you know, Apple iTunes or Google Play or you know Amazon, and and also then signing up for ASCAP or BMI. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So what's the difference between ASCAP and BMI? There's really not much of a difference. I mean, they, they provide the same service. You know, they're out here, they have the same purpose. They, you know, both are collecting the same type of royalties for the same uh, copyright holders. So I, I would say the main differences come in the sign-up process. BMI if you're just going to sign up as a songwriter, there's no fee to sign up. So you can just become affiliated and then you're good. You don't have to pay any fee. Mm-hmm. Um, with ASCAP, there is a $50 upfront fee. That's just like a one-time, um, one-time fee and then you're affiliated. Um, so that's kind of one minor difference right there. The way these PROs work, I, I mentioned that they're paying out um, royalties to, to songwriters and to publishers. And so those are two different shares of money that they split, split equally between those two parties. Okay. With, with BMI, if you sign up as a songwriter, you're actually eligible to receive both shares of money. With ASCAP, you actually have to sign up and affiliate as a publisher as well as a songwriter. So basically have two different accounts in order to receive both shares. Um, whereas BMI doesn't require you to do that. But ultimately, you know, they're both both doing the same thing. There's just that little nuanced difference there. So following this through, whether or not uh, an organization like CD Baby helps me sign up or I sign up, then I've got these copyright, these songs that I've published and I've copyrighted, I'm the songwriter, mm-hmm. and now I'm going to go and start playing them. And I'm going to go play mm-hmm. them in, you know, at one of these local breweries. So mm-hmm. I go down on a Friday night and I play my 10 songs and woohoo, that's great. <laughs> What's the next step in the process that I can expect to happen? If you're hoping to get performance royalties from 
that specific performance. It's really important for, for you or any performer in that case to register your set list um, with your performance rights organization. Both ASCAP and BMI have a section in their site um, where you can go and actually tell them what songs you performed. You can tell them when you performed them, at what venue you performed them, um, give them all those details. That way they can allocate some of the licensing fees paid by that venue to you for that specific performance. Wow. Um, so that's definitely something important to do if you're, if you're playing live shows with uh, any consistency. And if I don't give them my set list, then there's no way that they would know that I performed those songs, and so there's no way that they would ever pay me. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So just so you know, right here I'm going to insert some thunderously loud, like, dramatic music. It's going to probably <laughs> sound like dun-dun-duh or something like that. Because I've been performing <laughs> for eight years, and yeah. I, and here's the weird geeky thing about me: I have a set list from every single one of those performances. Because before each yeah. show, I sit down, I type up the set list, I put the title, the date on the top of it, and the location, and then you know I hand it out to the band and we use it. So I've got a eight years worth of set lists that I oh, wow. guess I should have probably been loading up to, in my case, BMI. <laughs> To right. uh, to do this is do you know is there a statute of limitations on these sort of things? Yeah, you do have to submit them within a certain uh, time frame, and I think it works a little bit differently depending on which PRO. Uh -huh. um, my understanding of it is that you have to submit it within like before the end of the calendar quarter of when that performance was, um, so they actually have time to to process that and, and pay it out to you. Um, if you miss the, if you if you miss the window. <laughs> oh man, it's a sad trombone time. <laughs> oh, okay. Now I'm throwing my pen down. <laughs> Things I should have known. Okay, well this is cool though because uh, yeah. Before the end of the calendar quarter, I submit these. Then okay, so how do they pay me? Then how? Do, let's say that I do mm. I do this and. Um, then how do they end up getting, how does the money come back to me physically? Do you know? Yeah, so it can work a couple of different ways. Um, you know, if you're just direct with ASCAP or BMI as a songwriter only, I mean, when you're signing up, they collect payment information from you so they can pay you directly. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's on the behalf, it's the responsibility of that venue to pay that fee and then they match the, the money with the songs and they pay it out to you based on whatever payment method that you have. Um, and so that's just for the, the songwriter share. And then there's the equal publisher share. They're basically splitting the dollar 50, 50. Mm. Um, so you'll get half of that directly as a check from BMI for the songwriter share. And then if you're with BMI, you'll also get an equal check for the publisher share. Um, if you're with a publishing administrator like CD baby or another company, that means we're administering that publishing share for you. So that, amount of money would flow through us and back to you as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. um, again, that's not the only thing we're doing with that service, but that's how that specific um, piece of money would flow back to you in, in that case. So a lot of times, oh, well, we'll I want to ask a, let's, a follow up on this. What if I'm playing somebody else's <laughs> song? If I'm playing a cover at a venue and I'm, I make sure that I include that on the set list, then mm -hmm. will that other artist receive payment? Yes, yes, they will. Yeah. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. As long as the, as long as the song is registered with them, right? If they don't know, you know, who that song belongs to, it's not registered. Then that 
individual can't can't receive any royalties for it. But right. most of the time when people are covering songs, they're more popular songs, so they're definitely registered. Right. So like I'm playing Ghostbusters at a Halloween gig at a bar, and <laughs> and then I know that that will get back to Huey Lewis, who wrote uh, What a New Drug. Exactly. Right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, so, okay, so that's cool. I see kind of the process as far as how, how that works, and it works with both ASCAP and BMI in kind of the same, in kind of the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, when, what, what, is there any other sort of maintenance then? Because honestly, I, I guess I missed this in the uh, tutorial when I signed up about submitting my set list. Is there anything else that I should be doing to give, provide information to you know, one of these PROs so that I'm not missing out on, you know, financial opportunity? Right. Um, not necessarily. I mean, it's never a bad idea to touch in with your PRO every now and then. You can get in contact with them. They both have uh, contact pages on their site. Um, start kind of building a relationship with reps in whatever part of the country you're in and kind of give them tips to if you know where your music is being publicly performed, um, may give them some inclination to monitor those a little more closely, but generally it's all just one machine that's running. So you don't have to, um, do too much maintenance with it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's really just getting those works registered. And if you're playing live, making sure you're submitting those set lists. Um, you know, one other thing I, I will say is if you do land any like, placements for TV or, or, or film or something like that. Um, there is some in-between work, some communication that has to happen between whoever licensed your song for that use and the PRO. Um, and so it's good as the songwriter who, who wrote that song to make sure that communication between those two parties is happening. Um, whoever licensed the song has to submit what are called cue sheets to the PRO so they know when that song was performed, how it was used, and all of that, so you can get your royalties back. So it's always good to be tuned into that process if you ever do land a, a sync placement for TV or, or film. Ah, so if they use a, a, one of your songs for um, a commercial or something like that, then it's, then you want to make sure that you're following up on that, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's really the responsibility of you know the production company, whoever licensed the song, to... To you know, make sure those are submitted, but it's never a bad idea as a songwriter to to check in with the um, with the production company with your PRO to, to make sure those were submitted correctly. So, what about smaller venues? Um, oftentimes, children's musicians play at libraries. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be like Tuesday music morning, and you go in and mm-hmm. you you know you perform music for forty five minutes or an hour, or a, a Parks and Rec gig. You know, the, the Fall Fest that sort of thing where you're playing out in a park for a, a municipal event or something like that. Do, mm-hmm. how do you know as a performer mm-hmm. that that venue is, you know, paying the, the fees to ASCAP or BMI or do you? Right. Um, no, you don't always know. There are, um, there are certain, like it really depends on the size of the venue and how many people could fit in the venue and a lot of other minor details like how many screens, like TVs are in the venue per room, um, how many speakers are in there, things like that all kind of play into whether or not 
that venue actually has to pay out performance royalties. Um, so oftentimes if you're playing a really, really small venue or, um, or playing at a location that doesn't generally, you know, have live music, that performance may not uh, constitute or, or generate any performance royalties. Hmm. And really with these uh, PROs, we're only talking about performance royalties at this point. We aren't talking about mm -hmm. any of the other royalties that you might get for, you know, streaming or anything like that, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, this is just performance royalties. And, you know, performance royalties can be generated from, from online streaming um, as well. But I think when we're talking about performance royalties, people are more thinking about, you know, terrestrial radio airplay or playing live or music. Um, in the background, in, in a bar or a restaurant, and things like that. Okay, pretty much wherever anybody's actually physically producing in real time the music. Is that what you're saying? Because if they yeah, make a, what if they make a playlist? What if the bar has a playlist, or a, you know, and they're just mm -hmm. playing your music in the background, uh, the recorded version? Does that count? Mm -hmm. um, it kind of depends. I know there are certain, like you can have certain types of Spotify accounts that are set up with certain companies that provide music for those kinds of um, purposes. So these companies will be paying out, you know, specific types of uh, licensing fees for those uses. Um, but I mean, when we're thinking about performance royalties, it's a royalty type that's owed to the composition, the like the underlying composition. Mm -hmm. That composition is, in, is embodied in the sound recording. So even if someone is just performing quote unquote, that sound recording, um, your composition is inside that sound recording. And um, so that composition is being performed publicly. That's why if it's being played on the radio or even if it's being streamed online or it's just background music at a bar, um, that's still a public performance. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, and you won't, but you won't necessarily know that's happening unless you're there. So hopefully, if, mm -hmm. if they have a Pandora subscription or whatever it is, then that's, right. that's the way that that can circle around. All right, so, yeah. uh, Colson, do you know anything about sound exchange? I do, yeah. Okay, yeah. so because this seems to me to be a different beast that we need to talk about. Yes, sound exchange is definitely an entirely different beast. All right, so I think we've killed the yeah. BMI beast, and we've settled right. the ASCAP beast. We know we need to do this. We know we need to take our set mm -hmm. lists and load them up there. We know that we can feel really stupid for not doing it for eight years, and <laughs> wish you know, and all that wonderful revenue is gone. Oh, just out of curiosity, is it worth us putting um, for loading our set lists up for places where we're not sure they're covered or not? Um. I would say yes, or maybe reach out to your PRO first and, and ask them about it. Um, mm -hmm. They're usually pretty good about getting back to you. Like, hey, I played this venue here. Um, you know, it's about this many people. Is this something that would be, you know, worth registering my, my set list for? And, and I'm sure they would get back to you and let you know. Um, definitely, that's like a good thing to bring to your PRO. Um, that way, they know that you're kind of gigging too, and that way that line of communication is open. Okay, so I'm going to, before we jump into the other monster, um, I do want to talk just a little bit about some of the, some of the myths that I've heard out there mm -hmm. about this, about, oh, um, and again, this is like urban legend stuff, but maybe first or second hand uh, urban legend where mm -hmm. some 
like a legally looking attorney type dude with a briefcase shows up at a show and says to the musicians, <laughs> hey, you owe us 500 bucks. I'm, I'm from BMI and you've got to pay me money or something like that. So if we report this gig that we were like, hey, we played this thing, is, would we mm-hmm. expect that the PROs would then snoop after these people to pay dues? Uh, do you know what I'm talking right. about? Have you heard these? Stories? I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So is I, it, I have. And what is the deal? Yeah. I, so they wouldn't come after. Well, nowadays they're not actually out on the on the street as much doing that. Um, definitely back in the day, but they, that's not something they would come after. Like the actual musicians, you know, the performing musicians for it's it's the responsibility of the venue to pay out those licensing fees. So if you know BMI or ASCAP are aware that there's a venue out there that's not licensed, they, they may crack down on them and make them pay, pay out some money. I remember hearing, you know, when the PROs were first coming about and being uh, created in the U.S., that was definitely more of a thing where you would have representatives from um, ASCAP come around to those bars and kind of be intimidating the, the people at the venue to, to pay the pay the money and if they didn't then then it was a problem for sure (laughs) well i don't know i mean in one way it sounds like hey yeah better pay up your dues or you're gonna you know whatever you know yeah burn down i mean but then exactly i mean you think about ascap was founded in like 1914 like (laughs) right around back then so definitely maybe it was you know yeah, it was, it was my a little bit like Tommy, that. Tommy the gun. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming with the cigar and the hat and everything. Yeah, but, but on the flip side, as a musician, I guess I would kind of be rooting for him to be like, hey, come on, you know. Yeah. I'm playing my music and this is part of the deal. Like, this is part of the return that mm-hmm. I get. That's not, you know. Exactly. I want to teach the world yeah. to sing and I want my cut. <laughs> yeah right and i mean as a and as a musician you know you're providing the live music there for that venue and it's part of their business being successful so okay at the very least you can ask for you know some pennies or dollars to roll in on the back end from that oh that is another question before we leave this then what can we expect for mm-hmm. payment on a song that definitely fluctuates on the venue or the type of public performance really it kind of depends on on the public performance. Generally, if you're just playing those small to mid-sized venues, you're looking at revenue that's similar to like streaming revenue, you know, pennies on the dollars. Sometimes if you're playing bigger venues with more consistency, it'll start to stack up a little bit, but um, it's something that, that fluctuates. Do you think they base it on crowd size, basically? Like if it's like yeah. one to 200 people, they're, they'll give you a quarter of a cent per song. And if it's six to yeah. 5,000 people, then yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Paul McCartney, you know, every night he's just... I bet he... You know what? I bet Paul McCartney puts his uh, set list into BMI. Oh, I'm sure he has somebody <laughs> doing it for him. <laughs> well, probably. No, yeah. Mm-hmm. He goes back to his trailer at the end of the night. He's like, ah, I got to do the, gotta do the <laughs> set list. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the uh, slow internet connection. <laughs> yeah. All right, so <laughs> let's move on to Sound Exchange. What is Sound Exchange? Yeah, so Sound Exchange is another um, collection society. I think people start to throw PROs and, and Sound Exchange in the, in the same conversation because they're they're both basically collecting money from performances of songs the one of the biggest differences though is that sound exchange is 
collecting revenue and, and paying it out to the owners of the sound recording, not the composition. So sound exchange is paying out recording artists and they're paying out labels as opposed to SCAP and BMI who are paying out songwriters and publishers for the composition. Mm. And they're also monitoring a different kind of thing. And it's very specific. <laughs> um, so sound exchange, their responsibility is to collect money that's, generated from non-interactive streaming and internet radio platforms. So we're looking at like Pandora, iHeartRadio, or like satellite radio stations. These are the kinds of um, sources Sound Exchanges is collecting revenue from. Okay. And the way that they split it up is similar to the PROs in that it's in two shares, except it's the uh, rights owner share or the label share. Mm-hmm. and the um, featured artist share, which is just the, whoever the main artist on, on the song is. And they're splitting this share up 50-50 as well. So if there's a dollar to be collected from Sound Exchange, 50 cents of that is, is payable to the artist, and 50, uh, 50 cents of that is payable to, to the label. Okay, so going back to this, uh, this uh, premise that I release an album, and I just do it all by myself, and at some point, and this, this is what I did. I said, well, mm. I'm going to start a little LLC for my music business. And that will yeah. be my label. And everything that I produce then is, co- I put the copyright, you know, the name of my business on there. And everything, mm-hmm. I, I funnel everything through there as part of the business of business, mm-hmm. you know. So then yeah. uh, Pandora... Uh, and Pandora, you have to submit your music to Pandora, and then they review it, and they accept it, mm-hmm. or they don't. And you really have no say mm-hmm. what they do with it once they, once you submit it. Mm-hmm. They'll, they just put right. it out there. And I know that um, working through you guys, through CD Baby, because my first couple albums I went through your distribution, I had mm-hmm. you do this for me. So every once in a while I get a, you know, um, I go to my CD Baby page because my first couple albums, mm-hmm. you were the distributor. I'll mm-hmm. notice that I get payment from Pandora and Pandora Plus and things like that. And so mm-hmm. that's, so, so you guys help, you guys must have set me up with Sound Exchange at some point. Is that right? Well, if, if the money you're seeing in, inside the account there is actually listed under Pandora Radio or Pandora Plus or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that means it must have been part of uh, like CD Baby's direct deal with Pandora, where Pandora is actually paying us out directly for oh. certain songs, um, which isn't always the case. Sometimes they'll just take something onto their radio platform and not put it up on any of the other tiered versions of their, their platform, and that money may just flow through Sound Exchange. Or if you as an artist submits the music to Pandora directly without going through a distributor like CD Baby or another company, and then gets up on their radio platform. That's when you'll see the money from from Sound Exchange. Oh, and I think that's what happened because I think I actually went mm-hmm. to Pandora directly to submit the music, and mm-hmm. they they were like, "Yeah, we'll take you know." I submitted ten songs, and they're like, "We'll take these three, and and every once in a while, then I get um, I just get a payment through through the the online portal of CD Baby when I go and check that. Mm-hmm. So if um. In the children's music genre, there's a, a Sirius XM Kids Place Live mm-hmm. is like the big and only yeah. venue for children's music for independent artists. I, I mean, there's Disney mm-hmm. and there's other you know 
channels out there. So mm-hmm. is that where payment would come from? Because it's satellite radio, or mm-hmm. is that a different mechanism? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Sound okay. satellite radio would pay to the sound exchange that would come out that way. And what do these things pay then? Kind of be similar to like terrestrial radio airplay for the PRO. So it depends on the size of the station and all of that. So it could be anywhere from pennies on the dollar to, you know, hundreds of, of dollars. Um, I've seen reports of our artists who are getting a lot of like, who are getting around the hundreds of thousands of streams on, on Pandora and getting similar numbers on satellite radio. And they're seeing quarterly payments of, you know, 15 to 20,000 for each share, the, the artist share and the label share. So, you know, if you're getting that much traction, it can, it can bring in some serious revenue for you. Holy cow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to take a second to process that. I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> you just mentioned terrestrial radio, and that's your standard commercial FM. Is that, I don't want to say is that still a thing, but how does that work for payment then? That, so I was kind of comparing satellite to that because the terrestrial radio airplay is something that's paid out to the PROs like ASCAP and BMI we were talking earlier. Um, oh. So obviously the satellite radio is different, but going to look pretty similar, I guess. It depends on like the size of the station that you're being played on and the frequency um, that's because how many spins are you getting type of thing. So if, if you're getting, if you're getting that satellite airplay, you know, on the daily or a few times a week across a number of stations, I can start to add up really quick. At CD Baby, we don't see as much of, of the ins and outs and the details of that side because we don't actually distribute to like satellite radio stations that's not they don't they don't work with distributors like that right um so we just kind of see the money come in from sound exchange um without you know much details from them on that but yeah usually the ones who are getting a lot of money from sound exchange are getting a lot of pandora airplay and they're getting lots of spins on on those different satellite radio stations and it can start to, to add up for sure so is there a difference in terrestrial radio as far as um, like the educational educational or the nonprofits, the university stations? A lot of those have like children's hour where they'll play children's music mm-hmm. versus some of the bigger mainstream, more commercial radio stations. Do they all pay sort of like the bars and taverns do just to do a blanket thing and then use Spinatron or some mechanism to report their playlist? Yeah, it depends on the PRO and depends on the radio station. Some smaller ones will definitely report like each song that they're playing, pay fees out on that. Others are just paying those blanket license fees out and not giving like that exact songs that they're playing. Mm-hmm. Definitely, if we're looking at like a college radio station, that's going to pay out less than a major radio station in a big city or something like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of those bigger radio stations, like the, these PROs are looking at, all right, how, how, you know, how many songs, which songs were played in a certain period of time in a, in a certain territory. Um, and they're just kind of taking that sample and, and then they're paying out performance royalties based on that. Whereas with smaller stations, it can be easier for them to actually report the individual songs that they're playing and pay out specifically um, for those songs. Wow. Okay. 
So I think I've got a better understanding now between ASCAP, BMI, that's one group from for live performances, sound exchange, mm-hmm. we're talking about payment to labels uh, or the, the, mm-hmm. the owner of the rights and the uh, mm-hmm. recording artist, the actual, mm-hmm. you know, so you've got these four different p- potential folks, you know, out there. And mm-hmm. that uh, sound exchange covering streaming, like Spotify, did we decide that that was, that's where they were Sound Exchange covers Spotify. Is that right? I mean, they're doing any like anything that's non-interactive streaming. So they Sound Exchange could collect from like um, radio stations on streaming services like Apple Music and Spotify, oh, okay. um, where you're so non-interactive, where the listener is like not choosing which song they're playing, but they're going to an artist radio station or something that's just kind of feeding them songs, similar to just how like Pandora Radio works. You just kind of go to a station and it feeds you whatever is going to come up in that station. Maybe you can like or dislike songs, but you're not going through actually choosing what you want to listen to. Right. So that's what, that's what Sound Exchange is collecting from. Okay, so and I know there's like Pandora Plus and sort of like Spotify. You can either purchase mm-hmm. the uh, subscription where you can play any song you want that's in their catalog, mm-hmm. or you're sort of subject to, hey, you've run out of skips for this hour, so <laughs> right. sort, you know, here's yeah. another commercial. And then they they must just settle up different uh, for how they pay that differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, one final thing: Do you know much about the um, Music Modernization Act? Um, I know a little bit about it. I'm really not much of an expert at all, um, just because you know I haven't had much time to study it. Um, also, we I know it's probably not going to come into effect for some time. I do know that. Mechanical Licensing Collective is, is doing its best to to get up and to get up and going, and they've been asking for lots of money mm. to get started. But other than that, you know, haven't been following it too closely. Well, Colson, thank you so much for joining us today and for sort of laying this out because there's not a whole lot of tutorials. Even going to these websites, going to the ASCAP website and the BMI website, I didn't, I didn't really understand any of that. And then right. even just knowing that you need to register your stuff at Sound Exchange. If you want to have any kind of a return on that, if you if you own the music or if you're the mm-hmm. recording artist, so it's there's probably a lot more nuance <laughs> to it specifically. Like if you're the recording artist, you know you sing on a song, but you're not the label, you're not the writer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you're not the publisher. Yeah. Then do you still register it at Sound Exchange or no? Right. It's uh, all dependent on who owns the composition and who owns the sound recording and what hats you're wearing. You know, if you wrote the song and you're self-published, you're handling all of the ASCAP or BMI side of things. If you're a recording artist um, and you owned your sound recording as well, you're, you're wanting to handle the whole sound exchange side of things because you'll be owed that money. A lot of people, especially in today's day and age, are wearing all those hats. Mm-hmm. So you need to, to do all that. But, Definitely the money is going to come in from each different angle. Um, it just depends on which hat you're wearing that relates to what kind of money you're going to receive. Oh, right on. Yeah. So before I let you go, just uh, uh, do you have any advice for musicians who are just starting out, who are trying to get into this game that we didn't cover today that you'd be like, well, you know, the first thing that you probably want to do is blah. What would you suggest? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on where you're at with it. But I think the first thing you want to do is just start talking to other musicians and to other artists 
and sharing what you're working on and what your vision is um, and building a circle of people that you trust and that you respect that are going to give you um, honest feedback on your music and, and help direct you in the best way to go um, and just build that network so you have people that can, that can help you grow. Um, and aside from that, making sure that online presence is super important nowadays. So making sure you have a really, you know, whatever it is you choose to use, whether it's a website or social media sites or YouTube, making sure that um, you're visually represented in a way that um, is, is unique to you and, and, is, and is true, but is also really clean and concise across the web. So people can come online and kind of get caught in this web of your music and, and want to stay there. So having that foundation online and then having a foundation of people around you that you can build with is, is I'd say more important than anything getting started. That's awesome. Thank you. That's great. That's like yeah. totally, totally sound advice. All right, Colson. <laughs> awesome. So maybe we'll, we'll, we might have to bring you back on uh, next year so that I can, you know, we'll go to the, the next level of all of this and I can discover other things that I should have been doing that I haven't been doing. <laughs> yeah, you just let me know, Andy. I'm there. <laughs> All right, thanks, man. <laughs> there we go. Fun conversation with Colson Gower of CD Baby. They uh, did some right stuff by me when I released my first few albums. Went through them. It was kind of cool. Made it very simple. If you just want to pay a fee and get signed up with the pros and then watch the money roll in, which, of course, we all do, I suppose, to a certain extent. If you go to all the trouble of putting together an album, getting it out there, and, you know, probably a good idea that you get the return on it from there. Everybody bemoans the fact that there's no CD sales anymore. Okay, fine. So what's the next step? What's the next level of return that we can try and find? Well, there's streaming, evidently, and also performance. So be sure to file your set lists with your pros. Strap or BMI. Don't be like Cowboy Andy and not do it for eight years because you might regret it. I wonder if I would have been able to buy a cup of coffee with the, uh, the return that I missed in those eight years from playing all those gigs. I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll find out when I get my next check because I finally put them in and then I'll know. And I'll report back when I get that. And we'll see. I'll buy everybody coffee. <laughs> I'll buy everybody a virtual coffee. Oh, by the way, I am still taking my fiddle lessons, so check this out. That was a little bit of Buckaroo Bonsai. I just kind of thought I'd throw that in there for fun. And what else? Oh, right. Don't forget to like and share and love the podcast. Uh, don't forget that if you want to be on the podcast, you just come on aboard. Just let me know and we can make it happen. That was a tuning fork. I don't know. That's still going on. Holy cow, that's amazing. And uh, let's see what else. Um, I don't know. Hope you guys are doing well. Don't forget to keep breathing. Sound again. Here it comes. Okay, next time. La la la. Oh. Oh ho.
snacks and cuddles. We all like playing games.